Thank you, Blake. Good morning, everybody. Yes, my name is John. I'm going to read Psalm 8 one more time. It is such a significant passage, and it will just come home to us all the more as you hear it read. Psalm 8, I hope you've got it open in front of you. Yahweh our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. You have covered the heavens with your majesty. Because of your adversaries, you have established a stronghold. From the mouths of children and nursing infants to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you set in place, what is man that you remember him? The son of man that you look after him. You made him little less than God and crowned him with glory and honour. You made him Lord over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all the sheep and oxen, as well as the animals in the wild, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea that pass through the currents of the, of the sea. Yahweh our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. I will now pray. Father God, once more, we simply want to say thank you that we can now gather together in our merry, many scattered places under the authority of your word. Father, we do want to say we recognize its authority in our midst. We want to say that we want to learn to live by it. We want to continue to live by it. We acknowledge the power of your Holy Spirit now as that word comes to us, that it will confront us and change us and mould us into the people you want us to be in response to that great call you've given us through our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. And this prayer we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so Psalm 8 opens. Yahweh our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. And for a small variation on how it is worded, we go to the NIV translation. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. These words, they are meant to penetrate deep within us. They are meant to have an impact upon us. These words, one of them saying our Lord is magnificent throughout the earth, the other using the word majestic. I looked at a couple of other of our English translations. Our Lord's name is excellent. It is marked by greatness. It is simply great. So why jump around the different English translations of the Bible? Well, only to highlight this. For there is enormous struggle going on to identify words of ordinary human speech to capture just how awesome our God is. Imagine the dilemmas for those Bible translators who take the word of God into the languages of the primitive peoples. They are working with languages without nearly the choices offered by English and similar languages. The opening verse of the psalm again. Yahweh our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. We note it does say, Yahweh our Lord. It does not say God, our God, 
so that we call God Yahweh, our Lord, and we realise the Psalms writer, it is believed to be King David, he is not just speaking to God, he is not just speaking to the God who created everything, as significant as that would be, is he not speaking to the God that David knows personally? David is speaking to the God who makes himself known to his people. And so David addresses him by his name, not by his title. And he now shares with all of us, how does David view the great creator? How does he see the God he is now personally related to? Well, he begins with, he, he, well, to begin with, he certainly sees this God he is privileged to call by name, he sees him the one who's, as the one whose name is magnificent throughout the earth. Can you come up with a better word than magnificent or majestic or excellent? Maybe you want to say, I can't improve on a word as simple as great. How great is our God, says one of our well-known songs. It is so clearly meant to be the overarching theme of this psalm. It ends, you can see, with exactly the same thought. Verse 1 equals verse 9. Now we move our way down into the next couple of verses. And we are now building content into what it is about our God. What it is that causes us to grant him this magnificent title we get a series of contrasts, greatness and strength, and yet children, even children and nursing infants, they are capable of recognising the greatness of our God. And so we read, on one side of the contrast, our God is the place where there is a safe haven, yet on the other side, there are adversaries, there are enemies, there are avengers. There does exist a force committed to putting a stumbling block in the pathway of the Lord. Something out there to oppose our Lord's greatness. Now we read this psalm, we remind ourselves, it was written 3,000 years ago. It survived till now. Virtually nothing has survived till now of what was written in that era. Yet this psalm is, written with, is, is still here with us. And in noting that it was written that long ago, we also note it was written 1,000 years before Jesus. So that whenever we are reading any psalm, we are asking ourselves, how does the message of the New Testament deepen our understanding of the message of the psalm? Well, the psalm will tell us that there is an adversary, there is an enemy, there is an avenger. Now, each of us knows only too well the readiness of that avenger, his readiness to be at work in each of our lives. But for a moment, we go to the letter to the Hebrews. It's a letter that interrelates, inter interrelates especially with this psalm. Go to chapter 2 of Hebrews and verse 14. 
Speaking of Jesus, the writer there in Hebrews, he says, through Jesus' death, Jesus destroys the one holding the power of death. So that the psalm will tell us that the Lord is there in strength to oppose the enemy. Now we know that the Lord, we know what the Lord has done to destroy the power of the enemy. But then in verse 3, the writer takes a moment to let his mind dwell on the vastness of creation. It's a good thing to do. Just what really is out there? How far does it go? Modern astronomers can tell us far more now than they knew then. But in the end, in discovering far more than they knew then, they end up saying there is still more we do not know. I can read, for instance, that the distance from here to the end of the known universe in kilometres, it's eight followed by 23 zeros. But that is just a very large number. I have no means of creating a mental image of what it means. Should our scientists, in their various disciplines, would we want them to continue to speak or to seek to comprehend the extent of the moon and the stars of verse 3? Well, we all want them to do that by all means. But surely what they tell us will drive us to an even deeper sense of awe in the presence of our God. I think we all know the opposite, though, can happen. The gaining of greater knowledge. It also creates the thought that we can know more than God. It can create an arrogant disdain for all that God is. But surely, verse 3, when I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, does it not stir us to wonder what it is that we are doing in the midst of all of this? I again note the contrast between vastness and then intimacy. On the one hand, the moon and the stars. On the other hand, intricate work that can only be performed by a very skillful set of fingers. But then David then asks in verse 4, he asks the question that is at the core of this psalm. What is man? What is man that you remember him? You see, not only does man find himself at the very heart of this vast, unending creation, but the creator of all of that actually remembers him. For the creator has taken note of man. The creator knows that man is here on this creation. Now, verses 5 and 6 take us back into the story of creation from the book of Genesis, all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. 
And, worth noting, male and female, he created them. But then God said to man, man created in his own image, he said to man, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. Rule over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now we already get the start of an answer in verse 5 to what is man. You made him a little less than God. You crowned him with glory and honour. But what I find so remarkable, it is only man that has the capacity to even ask this question, what is man? Our much-loved family pets, they are very clever, but it would never occur to them to ask why they are here. It is only the created man, man in the image of God, only he has the capacity to ask such a question so that we do live in the image of God and so we are distinguished from the rest of creation. Verses 6 and 7 and then 8, they really say exactly what has been said at the creation. The first two chapters of Genesis, you put everything under his feet. But let's go back to verse 4 for a moment. What is man? Then the second line of the verse, the son of man. And we are stirred to ask again, who is this man that Yahweh, our Lord, must look after, now described as not only man but son of man? Now so often in our preaching, so often in our Bible studies, we find ourselves in Daniel chapter 7 and verses 13 and 14. Maybe you're getting tired of it being mentioned, but it is so significant. The book of Daniel, we are now 500 years before Jesus. The nation of Israel is living in exile in Babylon. Daniel and his friends, you could say, are the lucky exiles. They've been chosen by King Nebuchadnezzar for their good looks and their ability. And so they have been promoted to positions of privilege and responsibility. But Daniel and his friends stay true to the Lord in that foreign, in that pagan environment. They pass through many tests. The most famous of them is the story of Daniel in the lion's den. But then in the second half of the book of Daniel, a series of visions from the Lord is given to Daniel. These are words of great promise for the nation of Israel. They, as a people at this point, are enduring and humiliating exile at the hands of an evil oppressor. But in the vision Daniel receives, he sees one like a son of man coming on the clouds of heaven. And this son of man approaches the ancient of days. He is led into his presence. And there to him is given authority, glory and sovereign power. All people, nations and men of every language 
worship the Son of Man. Daniel's vision tells him the dominion of this Son, this Son of Man, it is an everlasting dominion. It will not pass away. His kingdom will never be destroyed. But when the psalm writer says of man, what is man? And then he tells us he is talking about the son of man. Well, we are now realizing it is the one that Daniel saw in his vision 500 years later. But then Jesus comes. And Jesus identifies himself as the one spoken of. For Jesus takes to himself again and again the title, Son of Man. And Jesus means when he says this, I am the one King David spoke of in Psalm 8. I am the one Daniel saw in his vision. I recently heard that on nearly 100 occasions in the Gospels, Jesus assumes the title, Son of Man. In one of the most famous, Jesus says of himself, Matthew 20 and verse 28, also Mark 10 and verse 45, Jesus says of himself, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but he came to serve. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. But let's come back to the psalm. Have we answered all the questions raised by the psalm? What a lofty claim is made about us in verses 5 down to um, 8. You made him Lord over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. But you are already saying, you are already asking, how good a job have I done as Lord over the works of the hands of my God. Certainly our current circumstances in our nation and our world would make us ask that question. Well, you've already concluded. The psalm is not talking about man in general who has achieved this purpose. Rather, the psalm is talking about the one called Son of Man, now, it's good that we can conclude this for ourselves. But on the other hand, it's good for us to go back to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2, and we find it there spelled out for us. Around verse 6, the Hebrews writer seeks to highlight just how significant Jesus is. And the Hebrews writer quotes Psalm 8 all the way down to you crowned him with glory and honour and subjected everything under his feet. And of course, Psalm 8 was writing about man in general. And the Hebrews writer is making clear that man has not achieved the charge given to him. Verse 8 of Hebrews 2, As it is, we do not see everything subjected to him. The writer knows man has failed. But then so significantly, verse 9 in Hebrews 2, he says, We do see Jesus. Like 
man in the psalm, Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time, but now crowned with glory and honour. And so the Hebrews writer reminds us, this glory and honour has come to Jesus because he has tasted death for everyone. Well, back to verse 4 of the psalm, what is man? That was the question we were asked. Well, we've gone all the way back to the creation, the original mandate. Man's failure in the end to live up to that mandate. But now the revelation in Jesus comes the one who fulfills all that man was originally intended to be. For you see, Psalm 8 is a psalm that looks to the coming of Jesus. The man who will be all that the first man failed to be. And yet, the first man who had it all within him. The capacity to glimpse all that the Lord, his Lord, would want for him. The man who never attained all that was first made possible. But one man did achieve it. And that man is Jesus. And that is why we come to Jesus. That is why we cast ourselves upon him. That is why we trust him. That is why we now claim to be in him. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That is what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. We become the man the psalm spoke of, a little less than God, now crowned with glory and honour. So much then has been given to us. Now we began by saying, Yahweh, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. We conclude by saying, verse 9 of the psalm, Yahweh, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. Do we sense the yearning that would have filled those reading Psalm 8 long before Jesus came? How readily they would have said what the Hebrews writer wrote. We do not see everything subjected to him. But yet the call that came to them then the call that came to them then that they persist in faith in the Lord, whose name is magnificent in all the earth. It is the same call that comes to us as New Testament believers. We know so much more than they did then. We now know all things. The mystery has been revealed. We know what is man. We know what it means for you, Lord, to have remembered him. In the midst of our concerns, our uncertainties, and again, at the present moment, they multiply. We have a certainty. Our certainty is in the one, now crowned with glory and honour. Verse 7. In our faith, in my faith, in the failed human being that I am, the forgiven sinner that I am, I am already bound up with that Son of Man, now crowned with glory and honour. 
I will not abandon that faith. We will not abandon it. Amen.